you forgot the first rule of mass media? Give the people what they want! everyone and welcome back to underrated a podcast where we look at films that are underrated underappreciated and ones that have slipped under the radar and passed most people by i am one of your co-hosts derek mcduff and i am joined as always by alan torres hey everybody how's it going and ariel ortiz uh. and we have a special guest today joining us is screenwriter and co-host of the beyond the screenplay podcast trisha oran how's it going trisha it's wonderful. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you back and uh, to be talking about this film today, Tomorrow Never Dies, the second Pierce Bronsman James Bond film uh, following, of course, Goldeneye and the 18th in the Bond series coming out in 1997. And Trisha, I know you are our kind of resident James Bond expert when we were first talking the first time you were on about a film you might want to do we were throwing around maybe doing an underrated James Bond film and eventually having you back we landed on talking about Tomorrow Never Dies so I want to kick it to you and have you tell us uh, why you think this one is maybe a particularly underrated James Bond film or, or if you want even your history with James Bond. Sure. Yeah, I, I do think this is an underrated James Bond film, which is a little bit tough to say because a lot of the James Bond films that are not as beloved, it's because they're bad. Um, <laughs> like, quite a few of the, you know, there have been uh, <coughs> Spectre. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely agree. Absolutely <laughs> there have been some real clunkers in the group is what mm -hmm. I'm trying to say. Uh, and nearly every actor who has played a Bond has been in a very bad Bond movie at one mm -hmm. point or another. Um, but also nearly every actor who has been James Bond has been in a very, very good either one or two Bond films. And this one is some is one that kind of exists, I think, a little bit in between where it's not the worst Brosnan Bond, not by a long <laughs> shot. Um, but it's also no Goldeneye. You know, Goldeneye right. is definitely the best one. And so I just think that there's some merits here that often get dismissed in the like, well, it's not Goldeneye and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And people just kind of move on from it. But it's great. It has a lot of stuff actually going for it. And it's really watchable. And actually, I'm a little relieved that uh, lately it seems like it's been getting reevaluated by Bond fans and critics alike as being better than you acted at the time, everybody. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I completely agree because I feel like like you were saying, the Goldeneye is obviously the best one. Goldeneye is maybe my favorite yeah. James Bond movie. Just and like you know, I'm color. I was you know that was my first James Bond, so obviously I'm a little bit biased. But I do think that because Goldeneye is so good, and then you had the two after this, which are you know diminishing returns for sure. Very much. Yeah, this one kind of gets lumped in with those unfairly because there's Goldeneye, and then there's just the other. Bronzeman ones, you know, like they, they, he is seen. I think a lot of people kind of view him as like a good James Bond who had a good go of it and then just some bad movies. And that's, I really think, unfair to this one because there is some really solid stuff in it. There, it's, it's like a very just good spy thriller with, I, I think there is some actual poignant stuff in this about, especially today in today's kind of like media oh, yeah. landscape like it's like surprisingly prescient with you have john price as this very charismatic media mogul who will just kind of do the worst things just so that he can sell his newspapers or his satellite you know his news on his satellites and you're just like wow okay this is this is uh this is hidden home a little bit but yeah i i, I do really enjoy this one as well so I, i'm glad we picked it and decided to talk about it yeah yeah yeah, it's very much like uh, besides being poignant of of the day and time. I think it, the reason why it is being reevaluated specifically also because of the whole Michelle Yeoh of it as oh, well. Oh yeah, in it, who in my opinion is is definitely the best Bond girl in in history. Um, she just is such a cap capable character. Doesn't really like. Which is another factor of that Pierce Brosnan, I think, has to go down as as in Bond history as the most man whore 
absolutely. Horny, horny is for sure, but know, man whore is well. really steep yeah. competition here. Like, let's just hang yeah. on one yeah. second. But I'm I, with you. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's always like he's always with a girl in a bed, um, except for Michelle Yeoh, which I you know puts more respect on her as well too. It's more of a um, boat situation. It's there, more of a yeah. boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> boat and shower but but yeah i i enjoyed this like i grew up with pierce brosnan as well as as a bond but you know daniel craig in that, that whole series like even even with spectre like i i enjoy his films and his bond a bit more and like yeah this is just such a classic 90s movie specifically like it just bodies everything mm-hmm. in 90s and going going back to michelle Yao as as well as like of that you know era of jackie chan and and that kung fu chinese you know martial arts movie as well and integrating that and it integrates it in such like a, a natural and organic way of of movie that it's very surprising that yeah like it didn't make that much of a as much of an impact back then because it, in on paper it is very much the perfect selling movie of that time specifically for sure and, and it, it is very like interesting to that it isn't and i think that just with the whole nostalgia glasses of today and today's time that that it, I, I understand like why it's gaining more traction as like oh you know it was a really good bond movie and, and, and yeah, like the whole aspect of like a Fox News person that that does die kind of thing doesn't <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If only a giant drill could drive uh, into Rupert yes. Murdoch. <laughs> and, and there's there's so many like catchphrases and st- like who who he has to have like one of the best just because of yeah. how ridiculous it is the catchphrase delicious <laughs> kind of thing. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> the camp. I thought the first time was like okay, but then he said it like a few times. I'm like, oh, he's really. That's what they really went with. Okay. <laughs> so yep. yeah. So, Sal, how are you? Uh, I have so many vivid memories of this film, uh, including the marketing. Uh, I remember the Avis commercials. I remember like yeah, the yeah. watch commercials. <laughs> I was like, they're flat out showing Avis with the like, rental. This is and weird stuff. product placement. But okay, and I won't lie. As someone who's worked in the rental car business, the scene where he returns the car back to Avis <laughs> was fucking badass. So I, I like, I just jumped out of my seat because uh, I haven't seen this movie for like twenty years. I personally, I know you guys love Goldeneye. This was my favorite. I oh, love wow. this movie so much. I, I think because I had a lot of fond memories. Me and my dad would go watch a lot of action movies together, a lot of martial arts films, like Ariel was saying. And Tomorrow Never Dies, I remember the commercials are fucking everywhere. They would always show the scene of him and the backseat of the BMW remote controlling mm-hmm. it. Like, I just distinctly remember that so vividly. And... I, you know, it was. It's just a very fond memory of going to my dad watching these. Like, uh, you know, we saw World Is Not Enough, Die Another Day, which yeah, they're not great, but I think there was a fun to it because we were watching it together. But Tomorrow Never Dies, I think we both walked out of it super hyped and we loved it. And I and I rented it over and over and over and over again, and we would watch it together. So this one, I have a fucking, I had a blast, man. And rewatching it again, I showed it to my girlfriend because she hadn't seen it before. And she was just cracking up. She was loving it. You know, it, it's just Pierce is the best. The puns, everything about it. Like, I, I like <laughs> Daniel Craig a lot. He's a great gritty Bond. But mm-hmm. Pierce is just so charming and just dropped dead gorgeous. And just, like, it's so much fun. And then I actually forgot that it was Michelle Yeoh. So when I popped it, or not popped it in, started streaming it. I was like, oh, shit, there she, oh, my God. Like, I, I completely forgot about that. So I was like, now I know where I've seen her from and why I was so, like, because I'm not going to lie, I had the biggest crush on her as a kid. And <laughs> I was telling my girlfriend, too, that, like, for some strange reason, everyone would, like, make fun of me for it. Whether they're like, why would you, like, again, it's, you know, sadly the time where it came out, I think this kind of jumps onto what Ariel was saying. Like, this should have been a really great on paper film because of the martial arts and everything. But I think also too, in that time people just kind of looked at anything different in a bad light. Like, I don't know how well received Michelle Yeoh was when the movie came out. So it's like seven years old. So I'm not looking at, you know, movie reviews or anything, but 
I remember like people were just like, oh my God, Terry Hatcher was way hotter. What the fuck? Like, why do you like Michelle Yeoh? And I'm like, because she's badass. She's a martial artist and she's a spy in her own right and gorgeous as well. And like, yeah, it's so funny how like just so many things over time have changed and now culture changes and people are becoming more open to things. But yeah, it was really weird how people look down upon, well, personally, like in my group of family and friends where people were just like, oh, what? Ew. And I was like, the fuck, why? But other than that, like, it's just, it was so much fun, man. I had an absolute blast rewatching it again. And just, I, I, for me, A plus all around. It's just a fun <laughs> flip. Yeah. Well, as you were saying, Ariel, it's a good reminder that actually martial arts films were having a moment in the 90s, especially. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about um, even movies like The Matrix, which, you know, was 1999, was really influenced by a lot of the popularity that martial arts movies were enjoying at the time. And then, you know, Michelle Yeoh was also in, in Crouching Tiger, Story. Hidden Dragon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and before she, this, yeah. Top Story. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is an Oscar winning film <laughs> that mm -hmm. was that came out just a couple of years after this. Um, also with Michelle Yeoh. And she was like a legitimate huge movie star, even in the U.S. And mm -hmm. so casting her in this was actually brilliant, um, even though they didn't end up letting her do her own stunts, which is very silly because she could have done them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's this interesting, yeah, mishmash product of its time where the the villain is so of the moment, the Bond girl is so of the moment, the style of the action sequences, like the stunt work and the way the action sequences are shot were so of that moment. Even when you look at stuff like uh, just right after this, you look at World is Not Enough and then Die Another Day, you're seeing more of the CG kind of like, you mm -hmm. know, approach to like action filmmaking and, um, you know, like what what can we do with this car driving on this glacier um, or this frozen thing or whatever they have in <laughs> Die Another Day, you know, it's all and it's all kind of fake. And like it was the cutting edge at the time, but it wasn't what this is, which is a motorcycle jumping over a helicopter, which <laughs> right. is so cool. This is very much the pinnacle kind of, of stunt work in some ways, like sort of nitty gritty old fashioned stunt work and yeah, martial arts. It's just cool. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's it, part of it, I guess, is probably a preference thing. And as one of you guys said a minute ago, nostalgia for when we used to make action movies like this. Because it was, like, among the last of its kind. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. It also, like, has... Uh, when, uh, correct? Uh, did um, Hunt for Red October come out, like, before this? This was yeah. before, yeah. It was oh, mid-90s. Okay. Oh, yeah. so this was before Hunt for Red October? No, 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 or, no, no, no. This is 97. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because mm -hmm. like, there's, like, kind of like, even that similar storyline as well thing, as, like, yeah. trying to... Mm -hmm. Well, like, trying to trick to... to two um countries into attacking each other and and um so but like yeah hunt for october is like well known and like well regarded mm -hmm. so so yeah going back to that it's it's like it is very surprising that that it it is it, it still is kind of considered underrated and i think it's just mm -hmm. kind of like the big the, i don't know if it's like just the pierce brosden kind of thing of like Oh yeah, he was, you know, just that he was he's very much a niche James Bond in his own like James Bonds are all like niche themselves, but he was just like a really and, and which is a testament like he was just very much a a James Bond of his time, like of the 90s. He was just the like pure gold 90s. Like that's Totally. Yeah. Well, I want to mm -hmm. piggyback on kind of that too because I think that you guys both bring up good points because the you know, talking about how it was influenced by kung fu films of the 90s and movies like Hunt for Man October and I think also Mission Impossible, the spy thrillers that were very oh, yeah. popular of its day. Which, because spy, I think, which Mission Impossible, like, um, that came out a year Impossible before. Was oh, no, 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 no. But mm -hmm. the, 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 um, jump scene, you know, like out of the airplane is very much like, uh, Mission Impossible, like the, the most re fallout kind of thing, like that whole jump scene. So even like, it, it's the, that's the thing is these, even considered not well regarded, like they did influence like action. Oh yeah, and stuff yeah. Like that. yeah. And and I think you know, know, a lot. Oh sorry. Oh, no, what were you gonna say, Alan? 
I was just going to say, like, the Halo scene. Mm. I, I It kind of made me laugh at how descriptive they were. They're like, you yeah. do this and this and this. <laughs> and I just thought about, like, Godzilla 2014, where they're all just ready to jump at Godzilla at the end of the movie. And they just didn't say fucking anything. <laughs> they didn't tell him anything. All, all they were like... I think everyone on their mind, their mindset in that film was just like, there's a giant fucking lizard running around, so mm-hmm. you're gonna die nonetheless. So, anyways, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, that's why I think the Bond movies are so interesting because they are obviously all of them have, and they've done this since the early days, and they continue to do it. They kind of just take whatever is popular in the action or spy genre and kind of emulate. You know, like everyone talks about how in the the first couple. Craig ones, they were very born influenced. And th- these ones, like you guys are saying, are taking things from Red October and Mission Impossible and like all Tom of the... Tom Clancy movies. Yeah, yeah the Tom like Clancy movies time. and all of the Kung Fu films. And especially with the, you know, like you said, this is when people that were stars in like Hong Kong were breaking out into the American mainstream. So it made sense they, they got Michelle Yao, who this was my first introduction to her. I'm obviously a huge fan of hers now. You know, she just obviously is nominated for best best actress for everything, everywhere, all at once, where she gives the performance of a lifetime, and you know, obviously deserves all the credit for that. But I think she is so freaking great in this because she really is James Bond's equal in every way, and she doesn't like you. You get like a scene or two of her like early in the movie, but she doesn't really come into the film to the third act, which I kind of forgot because she is so. She's such a big presence in the movie that you forget that she's not there the whole time. But you can really imagine that she is basically having a parallel movie with James Bond. Like, because she's just doing everything that he is. And she's almost, she's honestly the Marion Ravenwood to his indie. She's just like at his level and she's able to just dish it out and just do all the things that he can do and do some things better than he can do. And I, I love that, you know, that was one of the few complaints that I would have against Goldeneye is that. You know, the female character in that is there's there's two Bond girls in that one, too. It's, you know, someone who is a crazy is like an evil sex maniac. Like, but amazingly, by Fon- mm. Fianca Jensen, like, you know, that yeah. character is is very fun. But then and then you have kind of like a more forgettable, just kind of hacker person, which because it was the 90s, a hacker, whatever. But like Michelle Yao, like you guys were saying, is probably my favorite ever Bond girl or and just because I, like she's just so good and I and I know that later on they would try to there were there was plans to do like a Halle Berry Jinx spin-off movie before that movie kind of came out and you know crashed and I think they really missed a beat by not being like you know what we should have just they should have just given Michelle Yao her own Bond spin-off movie. I think that would have been the real move. Uh, no disrespect to Halle Berry, but I would I would love to have seen that. I would still like if they want to do it now. Like I'd still watch it honestly. Like well, like logistics is the like, country she she represents probably. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and this was the first, and I don't know how many there have been since then. I'm gonna guess not many, but this was the <laughs> first James Bond movie where a Bond girl had a fight sequence by herself. Without mm-hmm. Bond there to help her out, um, uh, and it rules like it rules. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah absolutely. And, and and again, they didn't end up letting Michelle Yeoh do her own stunts, but they clearly had like envisioned and choreographed that sequence for her to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's so good in it. And I love the you guys are pointing out that even though we don't, even though her actual character isn't given very much development there's still plenty of she still has plenty to do in this movie like she's kind of around a lot and even in action sequences you know we don't we don't get a lot of like here's where i grew up and here's why i joined up and why i care about this and and all this stuff from her which it'd be nice to get a little bit more three-dimensionality uh from the character but even just in the action sequences where we can see that she is making her own plans and coming up with her own ideas. And, you know, in that sequence where they jump out of the building and they are grabbing onto the banner and everything, it's her idea, right? To use the banner Mm -hmm. and like go down the side of the building Mm -hmm. and everything. And then, yeah, in that amazing motorcycle sequence, which is still one of the best, the handcuffed motorcycle helicopter chase (laughs) 
still <laughs> one of the best James Bond action sequences ever. Like she has so much to do, even though she's not technically driving the motorcycle most of the time, she's still, again, offering insight and like ideas and being a very capable partner. And so I just think that there's, yeah, very few Bond girls are given the level of activity <laughs> that, that mm -hmm. Michelle Yeoh is given. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and just for, an, for an action movie, that's what that's what uh, a real female character deserves is action. And that's what mm -hmm. they give her to do. And it's a brilliant use of her. Yeah. I mean, just recently, like they picked that back up with with never say never say die the new the you know no Daniel time Craig's to die no time to die thank you okay <laughs> never i make it's i get too many movies with yeah 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 no, no time to die and having those i was trying to think of like did did anna de armas or or um that's a great Monica sequence Rambeau. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, uh, they, yeah but but I, technically bond was still there with them mm -hmm. in those sequences so i went but but yeah like even those two like those are top characters i wouldn't even call them bond girls because like they're their own woman which is like maybe a nicer step forward as well one of, of them course. is a full-on full-on double oh herself double oh seven herself and so i'm i'm really excited to hopefully see more more of that as well in like upcoming bond movies whenever they happen and just seeing that branch as well i mean because in this one outside of of michelle Yao, yeah the other female characters are very much like there to to kind of make innuendos or or be you know the the um judy dench is always great judy, judy dench is always a win. yeah judy dench is her uh, like we don't count girl, yeah, yeah we don't count yeah. judy, we don't count. <laughs> but even like the money penny like moments yeah. i'm like oh my gosh yeah. i'm rolling my eyes of like <laughs> My goodness, even Money Penny now it, with the Daniel Craig, like she's a uh, like a she's a capable woman in her own right and doesn't really take Bond's like shit either. She's just like like shut up, Bond. Well, so Money like Penny, Money Penny's yeah. character has always been openly flirtatious with Bond, <laughs> and that's kind of their thing. Um, <laughs> but certainly, the more modern interpretation of Money Penny is one that I can get on board with, where she's definitely s smarter yeah. and savvier and. <laughs> Not always there to take Bond's crap, uh, yeah. whereas some of the previous Money Pennies got unfortunately saddled with that responsibility. And poor and and you know poor Terry Hatcher, who I think does actually an amazing job in this, despite the character being, I was gonna say underwritten, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's like a, that's a kind yeah. word for what that character is. In the, uh, but she, she does in a the good comic book, yeah, in the comic book kind of sense, she's very much like Green Lantern gets stuffed in the the fridge, the fridge. fridge. yeah 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 mm -hmm. uh -huh. yes she does but but the first woman bond sleeps with in a james bond movie always dies <laughs> that's a long and well, proud tradition <laughs> well, <technically, laughs> i'm not proud but you know what i mean well, the first woman bond sleeps with always yeah. dies yeah. basically yeah. Yeah. yeah she's the first she's the first like i guess chronologically but but on screen it's the the belgian woman but you're yeah. right fair <laughs> point there is actually one before her here in this movie but she's the one of important of importance, but that is, is true. Even yeah. in, in in Daniel Craig's like first like with, yep, with yep. Uh, Maria. Yeah, no, they always yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Did, did, I was gonna bring up something up, but did you have anything else to say on that? That Trisha? Oh, just Terry Hatcher. I I really like her in this. Mm -hmm. um, Terry Hatcher's a very capable actress, and I like the idea. The thing that makes this movie, to my mind, really distinct is the villain, which we touched on earlier. Carver, mm -hmm. uh, John Price's Carver, is an excellent villain. Um, mm -hmm. And I obviously, Jonathan Price is having the time of his life he doing is, this part. Yeah. He's mm -hmm. like chewing the scenery so hard and just like, his typing is like burned into my brain. It's oh my God. Oh my gosh, oh my God. yes, yeah. typing. How much you have to like, you don't have to press that hard on a on a freaking iPad. It's you know, wild. like, like you, yeah. it's like, yeah, he's gonna even, break it. It's not even like he's like, <laughs> Go like like you know typing multi. He's just like smacking it. Yeah, and he's like doing foley is doing such a good job because it is like it is like so quick that you're like yes okay perfect. Yeah, he well he's amazing and I want to get back to him, but but on paper the choice to make Carver's wife an ex of Bonds mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. actually really good and smart and mm -hmm. interesting. 
giving that character some history and some stakes, right? She's not someone Bond just met just now. He's She's someone he already knows and already had a lasting relationship with and really cared about. And so I... And I like the scene too, where basically, uh, you know, he's in the car with M and Money Penny, and they're telling him like, "You have to get this information on Carver. Use your relationship with Mrs. Carver if you have to." And he doesn't. You can see that he doesn't want to do it because she's not just any other woman to him. And so, the character work is not being done. Like, there's so few scenes and so few actual minutes of screen time for Terry Hatcher to be there that there's not a lot for her to like necessarily play um, in the moment, but creating a rich backstory, even if it's mostly just hinted at or implied is really smart on paper. And I think both she and Brosnan do the best with it that they can do. And Mm -hmm. when, when um, I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the, the character, but when her character is killed early on, I care. I feel yeah. sad about it because I've been sold on the idea that Bond really does care about her. And, you know, she she made a choice to be with Jonathan Price's character, Elliot Carver, and probably regrets it now and understands that it might lead to her death, warning Bond that Carver's coming to get him and everything. And so I think, yeah, it's they don't always... With the James Bond character, because we as audience members have such a long relationship with him, it's sometimes a little bit of a risk or just, I don't know, like uh, could could read as an odd screenwriting choice to give him like a love interest that we've never heard of or seen before. Mm-hmm. But in this case, because Brosnan is a relatively new Bond, I feel like it kind of just works where you're like, sure, they had a relationship when they were... In their 20s or you know however long ago when he was stationed somewhere and she was there too and it i don't know it's very um it ends up being unexpectedly moving even though again it's definitely underwritten by any standard so mm-hmm. yeah and he, i do think I, their performances sell it really well like he has yeah. that moment when he kind of like holds her like hair head and kisses her hair or whatever before he leaves and it's got like some very mm-hmm. tender music that does a lot of heavy lifting um so yeah you really do buy that relationship mm-hmm. yeah i think i think it's a really good lead into that relationship as well of like of because you expect like oh yeah bond has like has a slew of women behind him and that he's gone through but and but it it is going back to like, yeah what you said trish of like with the moment where you see like oh no this isn't any just other like conquests like this was somebody of importance to him it it it, it it's like that subtle kind of thing that that that's all it, need, it takes because it's like well bond's not being like cavalier about it mm-hmm. like, about, about her you know so it's mm-hmm. like it's very easy to make that sell just because of that subtle difference of of feeling or or emotion that you that kind of comes across with yeah. mm-hmm. and there's a moment in goldeneye too that pierce brosnan also plays really well and makes me feel like he does kind of understand some of the psychology of the character and bond's relationship with women like sort of over the years uh and there's a there's a moment in goldeneye where i think it's sean bean's character who is the villain in that movie spoilers for goldeneye um, oh. if you haven't seen Goldeneye yet from 1995, I'm very sorry. Um, but, uh, and 64 game too. It just came out for the switch. So there you go. <laughs> oh man. The game is so good. But, mm-hmm. um, but there's a moment where Sean Bean's character kind of references, you've had this many relationships with this many women and how many of them are dead now because you didn't protect them or because you got involved with them is essentially the line. And you can see the like regret and responsibility on Brosnan's face. And I feel like that performance, which was just two years before this one, and it's a very brief moment, but carrying the weight of what it would be like to be responsible for the deaths of a lot of people that trusted you, right. That you were trying to protect. uh, I feel like would weigh heavily on the character. And that's where I think that those, the, when screenwriters, and actors who are writing and playing James Bond, when they find those moments of dimensionality and a sense of history, that's when Bond 
I think really lands, at least Mm -hmm. for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, ultimately probably not enough to make up for all the misogyny. Um, But it's something and Brosnan's good at it. And Terry Hatcher is also really good at it in this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then was- all the while that you guys are saying all these wonderful things <laughs> about his past, M and Moneypenny just can't fucking not give him shit. Come on, Bond, b- pump the information out of her. Come I, on, I you know, know what you gotta do. The and I was puns. like, I got <laughs> it. I'm not gonna that show was pretty funny. I was fucking dying. <laughs> <of it. laughs> Compared. Yeah. But not too much pumping. <laughs> yeah. Like and they're just giving just daggers right at yeah. him. And it's just like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I always love it when when Judy Dench's M. I mean, she's just like the greatest M. I love her so much. But I love mm-hmm. it when Judy Dench's M is like really, I don't know, playing hard ass with Bond. Right? Like, mm-hmm. if you were a woman in charge and Bond was one of your agents that you had to constantly deal with, and he's constantly being a little shithead about everything, <laughs> mm-hmm. you would put him in his place any minute that you got the chance. Mm-hmm. And she's so good at doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and one thing with her too, and it kind of dovetails nicely into the next point I was going to try and bring up is that she is kind of like, what do I do with this guy? He is like, and it's something that in Goldeneye she says she thinks she's a misogynistic dinosaur and a relic from the Cold War, and in a lot of ways, the Bond character is kind of a relic of the Cold War, and I felt like particularly in the '90s, before, especially before like 9/11, after the Soviet Union had fallen, it was this time where it was like. Who who is the like the quote unquote the bad guy? Who is the enemy for you know the world? Because like Bond had spent his entire existence going up against the USSR and like stand-ins for that, you know. And then in the nineties, you know, you had Goldeneye, which kind of really I thought smartly dealt with the fallout of that and kind of the new world now that the the kind of superpower of Russia had fallen and dealing with all the fallout of that. And then but this one's like okay, well, what do we do now? Who is going to be the next bad guy that he's going to go up against. And I thought that the answer that we touched on earlier of like it feeling like, okay, this, this, you know, mogul being the new bad guy to go up against was really good. And it was very predictive. Like, okay, you know, it's uh, reminds me of a book that I read, um, how to hide an empire, which talks about how like the up till like the 1980s and whatever, like it was all about, you know, the first 200 years of America's existence. It was all about, and I know it's Britain, but uh, getting land and more land. And then it became like a pointless empire and more of just like a thing where it's like, okay, it's all about like controlling the narrative and controlling resources. And this really felt like it played on that really well. And it was a a good way for Bond to kind of update now that we don't have the Soviet Union for him to go up against anymore. Now he's going up against just the, the, the technology and the, the war on information and all of that I thought was really smart. Oh, the good old days when we didn't trust the media. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true. And yeah, I one of the things that I love most about the James Bond franchise and how long running it is, is its ability to adapt and find the new threats um, mm-hmm. or at least like fictionalize and explore what the new threats are. And this is a really, really wisely approached one. Uh, you mentioned how predictive it seemed of like he's got satellites and he's like putting out the news instantly and he knows about everything before even it, it could be known by people. Um, and so he's the one who's getting all the numbers, right? He's doing it for ratings. He's doing it for like popularity and media and money. But, you know, we find out that towards the climax that he's doing it for like exclusive uh, broadcasting rights in China. Which, by the way, that's very... Pretty. <laughs> like, like, getting rights to release something in China? Like, so you'll compromise on your morals? That's ahead of its time. Yeah, don't say. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think too, like, Bond films are often criticized for the silliness of their villains and the fact that they're megalomaniacs. And believable, admittedly, believable megalomaniacs are hard to come by, even though the world is full of them. And so, like, this is a really amazing example of, well, who is a real megalomaniac? Who would be someone really in charge of an actual Mm. evil empire? Um, Or who is, at that time, in charge of an actual empire? (laughs) Uh, And the answer is a Jonathan 
price, you know, Elliot Carver type of a guy who's willing to manufacture a war uh, in order to get to to get to broadcast it basically and stay relevant and stay in the public attention. And yeah, I just think that like I'm I'm trying to remember who the megalomaniacs are in like the next couple Brosnan movies. And let's see, it's uh, it's a a very angry woman in (laughs) in uh, the world is not enough. Something bad uh, happened to her, her. family? Uh, Question oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she's like, she's like a Patty Hearst type character. She, she like gets King, ki- yeah. Yeah, she gets kidnapped and then becomes, like, makes the kidnapper fall in love with her and then she's the bad guy. It's it's not great. Right. And yeah. then then in uh, Die Another Day, I I truly couldn't tell you it's, who it is. Okay, it's also not great because yeah. it's, it's a Korean guy who gets diamonds in his face and then becomes a British man. Like, yeah. That he, turns, he turns into a white guy. It's, it's like, okay. I remember, like, I remember he has got diamonds in his face, which admittedly is cool, but <laughs> everything else about him is just very forgettable. But yeah. Jonathan Price is like, you know, he's older. He's not like a physical match for bond and mm-hmm. his plan doesn't involve like blowing anything up for its own sake. I mean, think about the most recent Bond villain, uh, Rami Malek's character in, you know, No Time to Die. He's got this virus plan to, like, kill all the people. Like, and essentially, like, pay why? for the cure. Yeah. Right, yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. And then have to pay for the cure or something. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, well, it's... Don't even get me started because it's so confusing because he's like, <laughs> I just want to kill Blofeld. And then he does. And he's like, never mind, I have other plans, too. And um, I have a poison guarded, but they're also microchip, like they're nanobot. It's that's a it's lot. It's nanobot, right, but we grow them. Anyway, yeah. um, <clears throat> I don't want to get started. But yeah, this is like, but again, a lot of the Bond villains are physically intimidating or they have whatever. And, you know, Jonathan Price has his henchman in this, who is very, uh, very flat. Um, yeah, there's there's truth here. And the mm-hmm. scenes with him carry that ring of truth to them that is still a little bit spooky and ultimately unforgettable. It makes the movie stand out. He's also not like disfigured anyway, right? Like, isn't that kind yeah. of like a Bond trope too? Like, totally. there's always like kind some of, kind uh-huh. of disfigurement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have diamonds in his face. I mean, <laughs> oh. the and disfigurement then- is on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> and then when they're not disfigured, they'll be disfigured by the end of the movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, see also everybody who's ever played Blofeld. Yeah. <laughs> or Christoph Waltz. Like, he thought he was going to get out of this whole thing without having to do the Blofeld face problems, but no. But alas, no. Yeah, no. That 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 was a weird scene, but yeah. <laughs> I still haven't yeah. seen that one yet, and I'm not going to lie. Like, I just... Yeah, after, like after no Spectre, I kind of... Yeah, I haven't I, seen No Time to Die. Yeah, I, kinda, I like No Time to Die just because of the whole bondness of it. I don't know I don't know about the actual, like, bad guy story, but just Bond's story in that and his send-off is, like, actually... I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It, it, it's a very fitting send-off for, for Craig's Bond, but... Anyway, leaving yeah. that over there. It, it does, yeah. but it does have villain problems. It yeah, it has a villain, villain problems. Well, it's, it's like uh-huh. Trisha before, before you know we got on Mike. We were saying like even a bad Bond movie is fun to watch, and this is by no means a bad Bond movie, but and it's just so like you can just turn this movie on whenever. Oh, and just yeah. like it starts with like a Top Gun as a Top Gun movie, almost like it's so just it's just a lot of fun. You know, like you're always gonna have a good time watching a Bond movie. I think. Well, especially the ones that really commit to the action genre, mm-hmm. which a mm-hmm. lot of them do. But there's, you know, spy thrillery things and other things in there. Um, but when they commit to doing action and doing it really well, and again, this goes back to like stunt work and practical effects and things that have always been a hallmark of the the Bond franchise. You've got, yeah, you've got that amazing sequence at the beginning where he steals the nuclear jet um, from the runway. And then you have the yeah amazing car chase with the remote control in the middle, which is, it's cool. Like, it's just a cool idea. And it's all like pretty much all done practically where, you know, you have a stuntman driving the car from the back seat so you can shoot the car and not see any driver in it, but it's all being done practically. And then, yeah, you go into this amazing, 
so inventive, such a cool idea for a chase sequence with a motorcycle. They're handcuffed together. You've got the helicopter. They go up on the rooftops. It's awesome. You also have a scuba sequence in this, which is like, <laughs> I love it when Bond scubas. Bond yes. scuba diving has goes all the way back to Goldfinger. And they never let Daniel Craig scuba, not even one time. Like, <laughs> just let him scuba. I can't scuba. What's all this been for? <laughs> well, I mean, he kind of he kind of he deep dived after he got uh-huh. shot in Skyfall. So I, I guess. He and then swims. he segues into the Adele intro. Mm-hmm. He swims <laughs> here and there, it, but they never let him scuba. And James Bond scuba diving has always been one of my favorite things of the series. But he scubas, then he jumps out of a plane. Like... It's all just, and then he goes, the the secret lair stealth ship, stealth boat is one of the coolest little <laughs> layers that, you know, any villain has ever, mm-hmm. it's all great. Like, yeah. each sequence in itself is wildly entertaining, and they're all motivated by a clear enough story, mm-hmm. um, and populated by characters that we care enough about. And so it doesn't have the gravitas that some of the latter James Bond films have, and it probably isn't as tight or compelling as Goldeneye in a lot of ways, but damn, if it isn't a great little movie. Yeah, and then I uh, just speaking of all the sequences, we I know we talked about the handcuffed motorcycle scene, but that scene really stuck out to me as oh, really yeah. good screenwriting because it's like you have these two characters who are massively independent and believe they're like they spent the whole movie believing they could do it themselves and kind of butting heads and slowing each other down a bit. And, you know, they are, she is just like a kind of female Chinese version of Bond where she thinks she can do it all himself. He's kind of this guy who thinks he's like the greatest spy in the world. And, you know, uh, can he do all himself? He doesn't need to help her. And when they are literally handcuffed together and are forced by, you know, the screenplay to ride a motorcycle together, a one person vehicle and have to like each of them holds one handlebar and they're like calling things out and doing things. That's so good to make them realize like, oh, no, we are actually better together than we are apart and it makes it feel organic when they do start working together in earnest like a little bit later on yeah it's i mean as someone who writes action sequences it's just like one of the holy grails of sequences in my mind just because (laughs) for the for all the reasons that you're pointing out but then it's so um it does the escalation thing like so mm. perfectly where it starts off where they're on the ground and they're being kind of chased on the ground. And then the helicopter comes in and then like the streets are crowded. Right. So you have like all the regular sort of like obstacles on the ground and then it literally escalates where they end up going up and up and up, which is always a smart idea for an action sequence because it immediately raises the stakes. If something bad happens on the ground, you fall off the motorcycle. If something bad happens when you're on the roof, you die. So it immediately like raises the stakes there. And then even when they get back on the ground, they jump over the helicopter. So fucking cool. But then even when they get back on the ground, they're in a crowd of people and the helicopter has come and is literally putting pressure on them and there's hundreds of innocent people around it's just like everything about it has that wonderful narrative arc to it that you want from an action sequence where it feels like there are consequences and stakes to every single moment of it as well as all the character work that you're describing it's really just great writing and it's beautifully executed by all the stuff people that did it and it has a hell of a finale um, where they blow up the helicopter. It's so good. Ugh, it's great. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And then all the while, too, like, the funniest thing is that, like, wouldn't it be, like, a horrific... Wouldn't it be, like, a war crime if that helicopter actually mowed down all those people? Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm yeah. like, dude, you just get your guys. You'll, get, you'll start the war right now. Your guys are gonna <laughs> mow down a fucking aisle of all these like poor Chinese people just trying to get the fuck out of the way but that was just one of those like fun not I shouldn't say fun but like those like <laughs> kind of funny moments you point out where right. you're just like got it right there but okay yeah and it's like <laughs> oh wow like he's he's just like a news anchor but he has like basically this entire mercenary army that is ready to sure. just yeah, go out I'm like mm-hmm. cool yeah it's a James Bond movie I buy it sure. it's, it's a very like 90s kind of uh villain trope where somehow Mm -hmm. 
just this villain or, or the, the character just becomes a villain and just decides, all right, this person did me wrong. Now I want revenge. And they have a whole clan of thugs just at the ready. And you're like, where did you get the money? How did you convince all these guys? You know, I, well, it's the whole rock. He's like implied to be a Rockefeller man. Oh yeah, like, he has, oh, he has money, a yeah. he's yeah. a mm-hmm. media mogul already. Mm-hmm. Then he yeah. then he got the the guys. Yeah, I do want to talk about Stamper for one second, just mm. one second, because of all the henchmen, he's really forgettable. Um, of he he's not the most forgettable Bond henchman, but he's no, I mean Bond villain henchman, but he's no Jaws. Um, yeah. but like. I was watching it with the subtitles on this time. And so Carver actually gets drilled before Stamper dies. Mm -hmm. So then they have to motivate Stamper in some way to continue. Like he could just piece out of this whole situation at that point. Right. Like the missile thing is already happening. Kind of done. Ricky J who was in this movie. (laughs) like, Sure. What are you doing here? You, they gave him nothing to do. Like, anyway, it's neither here nor there. Poor Ricky J. <laughs> Leave him alone. Anyway, Ricky J. has already exited the movie. Jonathan Price has at this point exited the movie. Stamper could literally just walk away and be like, "Never mind. I'm not getting paid anymore, and I'd rather live." But they, they, you know, they need him to be like a big bad henchman, and so suddenly. He, I was watching it with the subtitles on, and when he's fighting Bond on the missile, he says something like, for Carver! Like, he's mm-hmm. trying to I avenge, like, Carver's death because he's sad? Mm-hmm. Like, personally sad or upset that his boss died? I don't know. It's a wild moment. Anyway, that poor actor, I'm, I'm so sorry that they made you, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying it's the wrong choice. I'm just saying I think it's stuff like this. Um, And Ariel, you mentioned all the quips, right? Like Mm -hmm. all the like one-liner quips, the puns. I think it's stuff like that that have knocked this movie down in people's minds. Where it's Mm -hmm. like for all the good that we're talking about, there's a lot of silliness here too that really doesn't hold up under scrutiny and kind of epitomizes the Brosnan era of Bond in how – just kind of silly it can be or where it like just sort of tries to paste over problems with like humor or like mm-hmm. goofy dialogue kind of things yeah and this this movie feels like it's it's like it's there but it's it's not it's not too much it's like okay it's a bond film i'm okay with just enough when it starts to get him like surfing on like tidal waves suit laser beam tsunamis you're like okay let's yeah. dial it back <laughs> but yeah this this for me i'm like we're we're in the sweet spot a little bit of the just because I like a little bit of goofiness in a Bond movie, you know. Sure. I like Stamper for no reason being like we die together. I'm like, like you said, he could just leave, but he's got to <laughs> be like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But speaking about Brazen, and one thing that I've always felt about him, and why he's always been my favorite Bond, is that I don't think he is the best at any particular Bond thing. Like I think that mm. Sean Connery is a little bit suaver and sexier, and then you have Roger Moore is a little bit quippier. And Dalton is a little bit tougher and more gritty. But what are you gonna like, say about Lazenby? Or, <laughs> <laughs> the less, the least, the better. I'm sure he's a very nice man, but <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I won't hold you to it. His 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 plot is really good. The script is really good in that movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that Brosnan, he's kind of like the second best at everything, and that averages out to be, him being my favorite. Like he can do everything really well. He doesn't have any particular thing that he's bad, like, as, as, like, he's not like, oh, it's not like when you watch, like, uh, one of the Roger Moore ones, and you're like, oh, he, Roger Moore's funny, but he, he should not be doing this action sequence or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's not, yeah. there's not any missing pieces with, he does everything very exceptionally, if not necessarily, like, the best, everything, he's got all the bases covered, I guess is my point. He's like yeah. the polymath of James Bond actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. I see that. Um, I think he is. I think he's probably all, in my mind almost as suave as Connery, because um, mm-hmm. I think he does do that. Like arist- he has sort of an aristocratic look to him that some of the other Bonds don't necessarily have. You know, yeah, Roger Moore kind of looks goofier, and obviously Daniel Craig is like more physical. And yeah, I think he is very suave. Like I buy 
Pierce Brosnan sitting in a chair with a very expensive watch on <laughs> and a dress shirt, drinking something very expensive out of a, a cut crystal glass or whatever. I'm like, yes, that is, that is, I buy Brosnan doing this. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily buy him in, in a lot of the action sequences. I would say he's maybe like the third <laughs> best uh, action Bond. But I agree with you. And I think that the... What he makes, what he lacks in some of those areas, he makes up for in charm because he is just so charming. And he is one of my favorite Bonds for that reason. I think it was um, Roger Moore who was asked about the casting of Pierce Brosnan. And I think it was Roger Moore that said, well, the world will forget about me and Sean the minute they see Pierce. (laughs) And I think that that's true. And, And he's, I think that, yeah, his look and his charm kind of really, really embody the character in a way that probably outweighs a lot of the other things for a lot of people. I think he is a lot of people's probably favorite Bond. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. He's not my favorite Bond, but... <laughs> who, who is your favorite Bond? Yeah, who is that a curiosity? I guess it's probably Craig. I mean... That's not a bad choice. I mean, have you seen him? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Those baby blues. Not well, since Paul Newman. Kind of, well, hey, easy there. Um, <laughs> not since, not since. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, Brosnan was my first Bond because it was the one, you know, I grew up in the 90s just like you guys. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, he's very charming. But as an adult, you know, all of the Bonds have been have been Craig. And I I think there is something about the rougher Craig version of Bond that just is a little bit more relatable probably because mm-hmm. I'm a millennial and like a lot of my life has been post nine 11. And so like the sort of like more, um, yeah, gritty action movie. Like I'm obsessed with the Bourne movie. So I love mm-hmm. seeing like more of a, you know, Jason Bourne mm-hmm. kind of a bond yeah. influence in, in action sequences. So I think probably it would be Craig, but you know, I'm curious to see who they pick next. Yeah. I know it's going to be very interesting. I think they they'll run because that that type of of tone still exists. I mean like one of the going back to Tom Clancy, one of the really good um versions of that out now is like yeah, Tom Jack Ryan on on Amazon. It's if you haven't watched that and you like that kind of like grittiness and stuff like that, I would definitely recommend that really good spy m- m- stuff, but I think well, that will still stay. It might, it might, might be amalgamation at this point, just because of like the nostalgia ness, but then also of the Daniel Craigness. You know, I do want to say I hope one thing I really, really hope from the series is that well, a that they let Bond keep evolving as a character mm-hmm. because yeah, exactly. That's what Bond does best is change. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there are some things at the essence. That you expect from the character, but then there are other things that we can let go. Like, and Daniel Craig proved that. People really did not like Daniel Craig's casting when it was first announced. They called mm-hmm. him James Bland. They called him James Blonde. They thought he was like, you know, basically not charming or suave enough. They were standing him up against Brosnan's Bond and Connery's. And you know, Barbara Broccoli was right, as she often is, <laughs> when she when she picked Daniel Craig. And so I think that letting Bond evolve is thing number one. But one thing I really hope they don't do is go in this trend of like an R-rated action movie. Like, mm-hmm. I think to me, James Bond has He's always swapped. been. Yeah, yeah, it's it's PG-13. It's, it's, yeah. Right? It's suggestive. It doesn't need to uh-huh. be explicit. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be gory. And part of that's just my personal taste. I don't like watching gore in my action movies. I want to see a motorcycle jump over a goddamn helicopter. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody like carved up with a knife. I don't need that level of gore. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah. It's the British in of that, it, you know, yes. kind of thing. Yeah. He has yeah. I think that. staying in that PG-13 mode is something I really hope from the character because I think... We just don't need more R-rated action movies. We have a lot of those these days, so. Yeah, and, like, those exist, and I like them, but, like, I don't think James Bond needs to be that. James Bond is its own thing. You know, it's like when they had the R-rated cut of The Hobbit. I'm like, why does this exist? Like, God, I hated it. I watched it by accident. <laughs> Wait, what the fuck? Yeah, there's a, the extended edition of The Last Hobbit movie is rated R, and you're just like, 
why? Like, it, it, there's no, re- and you know, I wouldn't want to see like the same thing with like Indiana Jones. You know, like exactly. I, I, I wouldn't want to see it, it's pretty. It's a PG thirteen style, and it's I wouldn't want to see it go the other way. I wouldn't want to see it like BG or PG. Exactly or it's, right. It's perfect where it mm-hmm. is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. Even as a, a huge gorehound. No, when I think of Bond, I think of like suave. I think of like Omega watches, beautiful gala events, tuxes, and like just just everyone just trying to like be suave and their spies. Like like you don't think of Bond as like bloody. Like I think Cas- Casino Royale was like the perfect amount of grit and like you know, especially that bi- that beginning when he's like getting or he smashes a guy. In the bathroom, like even that for me, I was like, "Whoa, that's super intense," you know. And then they do the the cylinder, the that gun cylinder, yeah, yeah, barrel. Thank you. And uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like if anything, I actually was going to ask this right right now too to follow up. Who would you like to be Bond? Oh God, it's so hard because I I mean I think they should go in the train of like not well known like with daniel craig i'm always for people when when you cast these kind of things to to just get somebody that's not well known that that you you're not putting any much expectation on you know kind of thing and that it it leads to a lot more surprising of for the audience as well and which is a good thing and and especially when you have a a character that that follows up through you know through time and i mean and that's kind of like the i i I like to equate like yeah casting of bond very much as like the casting of like doctor who of like you get these they they Uh could be somewhat known like like the next doctor who he is known i know because of 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 you know sex education but it's such a different character from his character in that even that it's like it's going to be interesting to kind of see and and it's like you know casting outside of the box it always like usually lands in the you know in the good way yeah i mean i remember probably a decade ago now there was a rumor going around about idris elba who i thought would have been wonderful <laughs> yeah that's uh, the only uh, one that i would be like the well that's most yeah. Yeah, he would have been great one. he would have been yeah. so good yeah it took so the bond the the craig series took so goddamn long like <laughs> He played Bond longer than anybody else in mm-hmm. years. Like, he didn't make yeah. more Bond movies than anybody else. Roger Moore still has the most Bond movies. But Roger Moore was making them so consistently. And then with Craig, it was just like, there's four years. There's five years between. There's however many years between. He started off as the second youngest Bond, and then now he's the oldest. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he only made five movies. And you're yeah. like, God. Yeah. yeah. Um, Four. Right? Uh, no, five, 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 five. five. Oh, yeah, yeah, five, five, five. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, so, honestly, somebody like Daniel Kaluuya, who I always forget Ooh, is English. Yeah, he would be, he'd good. be great. He would be great. Somebody like that, uh, mm-hmm. I think, would be absolutely wonderful. I'm not sure that people are ready for a James Bond of color, which is so insane to me. Uh, and by people, I mean the broccolis. Um, mm-hmm. And other racists. <laughs> no, no. I'm not saying the Broccoli's are racist. I'm saying that like they're very savvy business people. But yeah, I think that there's. Uh, I think you would get some raised eyebrows probably, but I also think it's probably time. Why not? Yeah. So yeah, I was hopeful when I heard that Lashana Lynch was playing a double O mm-hmm. uh, character, and I think they still could do something. I I yeah. low key was hoping at the end of. Like branch it out with her, mm-hmm. you know. Kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, at the end of uh, what are we calling this last movie? No, no time to die. No time to anyway. die. Yeah. No time to die. Another day. Uh, I was I was really hoping. I, you know, I sat in the theater and watched the whole credit sequence, and I was like, at the end, you know, they always say James Bond will return, mm-hmm. and I was really actually hoping for the the end card to say 007 will return because I thought it would give them more room to cast or like more uh expand potentially what the yeah. franchise could be mm-hmm. uh but they didn't they said james yeah. bond will return and i was like all right fine um, <laughs> but yeah i think it'll be interesting to see the direction they take it and ultimately you know the thing about being a james bond fan is listen there are always going to be 
bad James Bond movies. There really will be. But there always will be good James Bond movies again also. <laughs> so, you know, when, when I think the one thing I like about being a part of the James Bond phantom, such as it is, uh, we're not a very united phantom. We don't, don't have a lot of clubs, um, to be honest. But one thing I like about us is that we're always like kind of on board mm-hmm. with stuff like even a bad movie is like yeah as we said not a bad movie i mean yeah. it's still like it's still like a bond it's still like a fun bond movie so that it doesn't have the crushing disappointment of like when a star war goes bad or something yeah no and and i think even even the bond movies that some people might not like like i know this is something me and you were talking about a little bit, Trisha. Um, but like a movie that I really like that is, I think, underrated that a lot of people don't like is Quantum of Solace. And I get why people don't like that movie. I like Quantum too. A, yeah, yeah, it's it's a very fun movie. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, the Bond films, because they are so many and they're so different, everybody kind of has their own favorite. Um, and I think sure. that's even, even if pe- no, most people don't like one, somebody's going to like it. Um, yeah. But yeah, to Alan, just to answer your question, I, I really like both your guys' answers. Like, I think having an unknown and like a person or a person of color or both would be really rad. Um, but if we are keeping it that more traditional, just like British dude route, I think Henry Cavill would be incredible in the role, uh, especially after he's you know kind of lost out on this big, huge franchise character. I think you know that would be really cool to see him. And after seeing him in Mission Impossible, like we know he's got the sure. chops to do it, so that would be my pick. Yeah, the I, man from Uncle. Mm, yeah, that exactly, too. Oh my god, we got to cover better, that at some point. That's a better one. It's yeah. a hard one to cover now. Well, and <laughs> yeah. I wondered if he was old enough. Sorry, so I quickly looked it up. He's actually forty this year, mm-hmm. which is about the age that a James Bond yeah. starts. Yeah. yeah, Bonds tend to mm-hmm. be in their forties. The youngest Bond ever was thirty-nine, um, and that which was, was Craig, right? Well, Craig oh, was, was also Lazenby. thirty-nine, oh, but Lazenby okay. was thirty-nine and a few months younger okay. <laughs> when he started mm-hmm. out, but. Yeah, I mean, Craig was also 39, and so Henry Cavill's 40 this year. He's turned 40 in May. I don't know. I'm with you. Yeah. All right. Cool, cool. I dig All it. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, any, any final thoughts on, on Tomorrow Never Dies or James Bond in general before we wrap up here, guys? No, just that it's a legacy that stands the test of time, and it's, it's going to... I'm excited, you know, for the future as well. Of it, yeah. of, yeah. I mean, yeah, Craig has been our Bond for... Mm-hmm half my lifetime at, <laughs> at this yeah. point oh, man. so yeah. it'll be i'm really really curious to see where it goes mm-hmm. yeah yeah well uh thank you everyone for listening and uh trisha thank you for coming on where can people hear more of your stuff or, or read more of your stuff or anything like that sure so uh the best way to follow me is by listening to beyond the screenplay i am one of four co-hosts of that show and we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film every episode so very similar to what we did here kind of but especially in screenwriting focus uh and story focused kind of analysis just looking at some of our favorite movies and why they rule um from a storytelling point of view and screenwriting perspective and then, yeah, you can find me on social media. Uh, I always have new projects that I'm working on and will make any announcements over there as I can. And, yeah, it's been a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's, it's been a mm-hmm. pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I Thanks guess... Thanks for picking an awesome movie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess the final question, I remember, Trisha, you said you loved these very hard... You know, what did you learn from this kind of film questions? But I'm not going to do that. It's going to be an easy one. And it's for everybody. Uh, What's your go-to Bond theme song? Oh, Skyfall. I'm with Ariel. Skyfall is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Nice quick one. You know what? I'm going to say I won an Oscar for copying Skyfall. I don't care. I'm gonna say one that like a lot of people don't like, but I actually really like the Casino Royale one. I think the that one, you know okay, my name. Before, yeah. before Skyfall, that was my favorite, and then yeah. Skyfall kind of took over like, all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a banger. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many classics. I'm partial to the Shirley Bassey two that she did. One of which is Goldfinger, and the other one is Diamonds Are Forever. And those are just like stone cold. Yeah. You can listen to those anytime. They're so good. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Live and Let Die. I mean, a hit in its own right. You can't forget that one. I have a weird soft place in my heart for 
the Jack White and Alicia Keys uh, Quantum of Solace. No, that's one, solid. Yeah. Which is called Another Way to Die, and which would also be a cool title for a Bond movie. Um, <laughs> Because they didn't write a song called Quantum of Solace. I, mm. I don't blame them. But I like that one because it sounds exactly like you would what you would imagine a Jack White and Alicia Keys collaboration to sound like. <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> all right. This checks. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. No, there have been so many great ones. Uh, yeah, I think I'll stick with those answers. All right, Huge nice. soft spot for me. I think the best part of Die Another Day is the theme song. Personally, yeah. I love that Madonna one. It's a fucking banger. I think that was like, when I walked out, I was like, at least I like that. <laughs> I mean, some of the worst Bond movies have some of the best theme songs, actually, mm-hmm. is that's, the thing. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that's and some of the best ones have the worst Bonds. Like, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not a huge fan of the GoldenEye theme song, to be honest, you know? Oh, me either. I don't like, I do not like it. I'm like having trouble even. It's Tina like, Turner. Or a yeah. Few times. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, no, yeah. that one's not. But Goldeneye rules. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These things are not in direct relationship to each <laughs> other. How cool the, the theme song to the movie. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, th- thank you everyone for listening. Thank you again, Trisha, for being on. Um, if you guys would like to hear any more of us after you go and, of course, listen to Beyond the Screenplay, uh, we've got a you know a deep back-, back catalog of underrated films that we've talked about. Uh, Trisha's been on before. Um, her co-host Alex has been on. That was a really fun episode. So go check those out as well. Uh, we do a couple other podcasts, including Ariel's podcast, You've Never Seen, where she will introduce someone to a movie they should have seen by this point, or someone will introduce her. I also do when a new Marvel movie comes out, so it's sporadically a Marvel podcast called Infinity Stones Dragon Bones. And then we've got our Patreon, so we do release some Patreon-exclusive podcasts. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month by just going to under or patreon.com slash undercastcompany and follow us on Undercast Company on all the socials. We're starting to do some more stuff. We're doing these quick reviews on TikTok uh, on films that we've just seen called Microdose. We're having a lot of fun with that. Me and Alan have put out a couple episodes, and we're going to be put, looking at put out some more. So yeah, guys, uh, just give us a rating and a review, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, just tell us uh, any. We're always looking for suggestions as well. But yeah, thank you guys, and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Thanks for being amazing. Thank you, everybody. Bye, everyone.